Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning we come to the end of our series of studies in Philippians. So well done, everybody, for sticking with it these last uh, few weeks. Uh, and can I just reassure you right at the start, particularly those of you who have, uh, who have children, um, that, uh, that I'm going to be very brief this morning, so uh, maybe uh, 12 to 15 minutes maximum will uh, see us through. We've talked in these last few weeks about shining like stars. We've talked about tearing off a corner of the darkness. We've talked about following our Savior's way of humility and service. And we've talked about the peaceful and just kingdom to which we belong. And God's call to us to courageously demonstrate the reality of that in the world. Today we come back full circle, if you like, to where we started off a few weeks ago when we were looking at Philippians 2. Paul encourages us to shine like stars in the darkness, and it's based, first of all, on doing everything without grumbling. In other words, it's all based on a fundamental attitude of trust in God for our lives and a sense of gratitude for all that he's given us. So today, appropriately, on Harvest Sunday, we considered Paul's encouragement to rejoice always, not to be anxious about anything, to take everything to the Lord in prayer and thanksgiving, and to be content no matter what our circumstances. There's a lot of anxiety around at the moment, isn't there? If you're here this morning and maybe you're under 18, You've probably seen your mum and dad glued to the news and TV a lot, looking at what looks like very, very boring stuff about banks and stock markets, whatever they are, and money. And you probably wonder what all the fuss is about. And you're probably not too worried about it, actually, which is good. But there may be a few people in the congregation today who are a bit worried. As I look round you all this morning... I see people who look healthy and prosperous and happy and content. In fact, you all look pretty good. But I'm willing to bet that underneath it all, there are a lot of people who are in various stages of anxiety. Some people here are are anxious about their health or the health of friends and family. Some are anxious about their jobs. Some self-employed people here are anxious about customers paying them or having enough customers. Some people are anxious about debt. Some people are worried about their children. They've just gone into a new class. They're not settling. They're in their A-level year. They've gone to university. We're worried about the choices they're making. Some people are anxious about aging parents. Some people are anxious about their studies, about their exams looming ahead, about how you fit in, whether you look good enough. What do people think of you? So under this very nice, presentable exterior, I think we've probably got a whole heap of anxiety here this morning. So whether you're young or you're not so young, there's probably a lot of things that we're all worried about. And if I haven't mentioned your particular worry Apologies, but there are just too many worries to mention. 
Anxiety is definitely on the increase. Life's getting faster and more frantic. We're driven to distraction by performance targets, numbers, time scales, lack of resources. Anxiety affects us all, young and old. And for one in 10 people in the UK, anxiety interferes with normal life. One anxiety charity helpline alone receives over 16,000 calls a year. In our study in Philippines this week, Paul has a few things to say about anxiety that we all need to hear. In fact, he gets down to some very core Christian values and some things that seem very challenging, if not utterly impossible. In words that reflect Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't be anxious about anything. Be content in whatever situation that you're in. What do you think about when you hear those words? On the face of it, it all sounds very nice, very admirable. But if you think about it for a moment, rejoice always. Don't be anxious about anything. Be content in every situation. Come on, Paul, you've got to be kidding. What you're saying is crazy. Actually, it's, it's really impossible. You don't know what I'm going through. Actually, with what's going on in my life at the moment, anxiety is a given. It's natural. And rejoicing? Not possible. In a week or two, maybe, in a couple of months, once I've figured things out, once this thing has passed me by, maybe then I could think about rejoicing. But, but not now. It's too hard. It's not realistic, Paul. First thing we've got to appreciate fully when we read these challenging words of Paul is that this is not some kind of otherworldly theology that Paul dreamed up as he sat on the balcony of his Mediterranean villa looking over the the calm, peaceful sea with the sun shining. What we have here was written by a man in jail facing possible execution. And he's writing to a group of Christians whose situation he knows well, and he knows that they're suffering because of their faith, that they're in difficult circumstances themselves. The Christian believers, like most of the rest of the population in in Philippi, struggled just to make ends meet and to survive. You see, in the Roman world, if you weren't part of the tiny elite class, you suffered from bad sanitation, poor water supplies, rampant disease, no medicine, 50% of people died before their 10th birthday. Another 50% died before they were 25. It was a very tough world to live in. And you depended a lot on your friends and neighbors. If anything threatened those relationships, life became very difficult. So for these first believers, when they wouldn't recognize the community gods on whom everybody else depended for their welfare, or they wouldn't take part in the local festivals or recognize the supreme lordship of Caesar, all because of a foreign religion that nobody had ever heard of, then suddenly friendships and trade and work began to disappear. Superstition was rife, and nobody wanted to be associated with people who put themselves outside the protection of the local gods. So for people already in a difficult financial situation, owning allegiance to Christ and living in a radically different way from their neighbors caused quite a bit of hardship and difficulty for the people who lived in Philippi. I was in India a few years ago, and I met a couple of teenagers whose entire family had become Christians 
from a Muslim background. Their dad had decided to follow Christ first. He had a shop in the town that he lived in. And within a very short period of time, his business dried up completely. He and his family were forced to leave and to travel some hundreds of kilometers away to try and start a new life. That is precisely the problem that the Philippines faced. So closely knit was the community that they lived in, and so suspicious would their neighbors have been of a new foreign religion. So the reality is that Paul's in a dire situation, and the believers in Philippi are in some considerable difficulties. If anybody had cause for anxiety, if anybody had cause to feel down and to reject the idea of rejoicing, it actually was Paul and the Philippians. So when Paul writes these words, rejoice always, don't be anxious about anything, be content in every situation, he's got credibility. We have to sit up and take notice and say, what is going on here? How can you say that, Paul? Is there something here that could be of vital importance for us to apply to our own lives? What's the secret then of being able to rejoice, not be anxious, and be content in all circumstances? Paul says two things to support this. First of all, he says, the Lord is near. Now, it wasn't captured uh, quite quite uh, like that in the, uh, the Pew Bible, but the, 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 uh, the verse says, the Lord is near. And we're not quite sure what Paul means by that. He could mean that the Lord is right beside us all the time. Or he could mean that the Lord's coming is near. That's the meaning that's reflected in the Good News Bible. In other words, he's just about to come. He's about to appear. But actually, there's probably a bit of truth in both of those. And we don't really have to choose between them. The phrase reflects Psalm 145.18. The Lord, the God of Israel, is near to all who call upon him. So Paul says, if Jesus, who is equated with the God of Israel and the sovereign Lord of the universe, is near to us, right with us in the midst of our struggles and our difficulties, if he is already at work in the world and is set to come and put all things right, if that's the case, our anxieties start to be put into some sort of perspective. Paul is not simply saying here, have a nice day. Always look on the bright side of life. He's saying something here much more profound than that. God himself is right in the midst of our struggles. And you'll remember, those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at the Christ hymn in chapter 2, that Paul explains that it is in the very nature of God to come down amongst his people and get involved in the messy, difficult business of human life. That is actually what being God is all about. The God of the universe, the God who is revealed to us in the person of Jesus, is not simply up in his heaven somewhere, uninvolved, unengaged with us. He is right here in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials. That's what he's like. That's who he is. The Lord is near. And that is the basis for Paul's rejoicing. His faith in the love, the care, the nearness of the Lord, and the idea that there's a day coming when the nearness of the Lord will become actual and the struggles of the present will give way to the justice and the well-being of the new day of Christ. Second thing that Paul says to support not being anxious and rejoicing always is this. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests 
be made known to God. Prayer, along with thanksgiving, is the essence of trust in God. And this is challenging at times of pressure when we're facing difficult circumstances to entrust the situation to God. There's a verse in 1 Peter that I've always found very helpful. It says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. I wonder, do we have a sense this morning of the personal care that God has for each one of us? That he knows and he feels every difficulty of our lives, that he cares deeply and intimately for each one of us. Because once we have a sense of that, that our lives mean something, actually are of inestimable value to God, then we can have confidence to cast our cares upon him and then to trust him for the outcome. Sometimes when I pray for things that I care deeply about and are really troubling me, I picture in my mind literally lifting the issue and putting it on to God and then walking away and leaving it with him. He knows us. He loves us. He cares for us. Cast your care upon him. Bring it to God in prayer and then leave it with him. Entrust him with it. Trust him to take care of it and then walk away. Entrust because he wants to fill us with his peace to guard our minds from anxiety. And the secret is bringing it all to God, really leaving the issue with him and deciding that we are going to trust him. And the good news is that he is utterly trustworthy. God is faithful. He loves us. He will be with us every step of the way, no matter what we're going through. It is possible to leave anxiety behind and to let God's special peace fill our minds. The problem with anxiety and worry is that it is disabling. It gets us focused on ourselves. It distracts us from the life of loving service for others that God calls us to. It robs us of the joy and the celebration of being a follower of Christ and in God's kingdom. When we get free from anxiety, though the opposite is true, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Once we really discover God's love and care for us and how to pray with thanksgiving and trust, then there is real freedom. Freedom to be all that God wants us to be, freedom to do all that he's called us to do, and freedom also to rejoice always, even, even in the midst of great difficulty and stress. Remember the situation of Paul and the Philippians, one in prison facing death, the other facing economic hardship and community discord. If Paul's words about prayer, thanksgiving, and God's peace can work for them, it can work for us as well. In the end, it's all about that defiant faith that we talked about in previous weeks. When things get tough, how are you going to decide to face things? Paul calls us to follow his and the Philippines' faith, not to back down, no matter if they stand us up at the gates of hell. Not to back down, but to put our faith firmly in the one who is near, who is at hand, who loves us, and who wants to fill us with his peace. May God inspire us afresh this morning with the defiant faith of Paul and the Philippines and give us the grace to really trust him no matter what he calls us to go through. 
Because if we do that, we will discover that the peace of God guards our minds and the joy of Christ fills us to overflowing. Let's pray for a moment. For any of us this morning who are feeling anxious about something, let's just bring that to the Lord now. Let's, let's hold it up to him. Let's, let's decide that we're going to trust him with it. Let's cast that care upon him. And let his peace fill our hearts. Lord, we come to you with all the things that, that trouble us. Some small things, perhaps, Lord, some very large things, some very difficult things in our lives, Lord, and we lift them to you. We thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you that you love us. And Lord, whatever is troubling us this morning, we put it onto you. We cast it upon you. We thank you that you love us. And we pray that your peace would fill our hearts and minds and that you would give us grace to face whatever we're facing, knowing that you are right there with us every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.